Good evening. Good evening. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I know, I know. You still probably have bits of turkey from Thanksgiving in the fridge. I get it. It's early, uh, but that's part of the tradition that we've done here for nine years now, I believe. This is our ninth year of the Piedmont uh, annual Christmas concert with choir and orchestra. And we're very, very glad you're here. Um, what we do this evening is we start you off with some carols, and then we move into the body of the program, and then we uh, finish up with some carols after that, and then that leads to the best part of the concert, which is the reception over there. So, as I said, we begin first by asking you to do a little work. And I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to sing through two carols. This is not an opportunity for you to be, oh, shy, and let the person next to you do it. This is the opportunity to totally sing, because you don't get to sing often with a full orchestra. So up we go. Three verses of God Rest You, Merry Gentlemen, and the words are right there in your program. Oh, you're better than last night. <laughs> Good job. If you know the harmonies, throw them in. And even if you don't know them, throw them in. The next one is three verses of O Come All Ye Faithful. Let's really hear it. Here we go.
So this is our annual Christmas concert with orchestra, and I know many of you have been to these before because it is such a tradition, and, uh, and we love it that way. One of the things that if you have been to our concerts before that you know we do is we explore a different theme for each year's concerts. So I think one year we did Angels, and then there was a year we did Mary, and then there was a year that I think we even did the animals in the, in the, uh, in the inn and in the manger. And what I mean by that is that we would do carol texts that would actually have references to those various themes, because everybody knows the Christmas story, the outlines are really, really clear, and so we sort of like to take each concert set as an opportunity to explore each one of those themes. And tonight is no different. Tonight's Christmas music is actually going to dis- uh, explore the theme of music, music itself, particularly music as played with uh, instruments accompanying singers, but also singing as well, so all music. And as I was preparing for the concert tonight, I began to think of the obvious question, which is, what would Christmas be like without music? Think about it. Everybody has many, many associations with Christmas, for sure, but I couldn't get very far in my memory chain without thinking of carols that I knew or certain songs or sounds that I've heard all my life. It's very difficult to think about Christmas without music, and it seems like they've been forever paired together, and that would certainly be reinforced by the fact that I have here this fantastic orchestra and fantastic choir behind me, and we're all about to play a concert of Christmas music for you. But in spite of that, it wasn't always that way. If you've been to these concerts before, you know that sometimes I've mentioned the fact that, historically speaking, Christmas actually wasn't that popular for about the first thousand years of European history, anyway. In the East, it was a different story. But in the West, in Western Christianity, Christmas was considered sort of a minor holiday. The distinction of major holiday was reserved for Easter, which was thought to be more theologically important. Christmas was sort of a popular thing, and popular it was. It was explored and celebrated by all common people all across Europe. Because whereas common people might not always understand the minutiae of theology and Easter and all that stuff, they could understand stories about babies and parents looking for a a break at an inn and and not finding it and shepherds out in a field. That's a story everybody could relate to. So what happened was Christmas became effectively pushed out of the church. And with it went all the music out of the church. Now, that's not to say that there wasn't music in a church at Christmas time. There was. But it was largely sung by professional choirs or monks who would chant the chant of the day, referring to the nativity. And that was about it. As far as Christmas music, like we would recognize it, like carols with refrains, a structure which, by the way, even though we think of it now as modern pop songs, always have a, a verse and a chorus, that probably that whole structure and idea probably originated with Christmas carols. Because if you're a common person, you don't have a lot of heavy books of music to take with you like the choirs did in the big cathedrals, but you could memorize something easy with a catchy little melody and a nice refrain. And all your instruments had to come out with you because, hey, you got to hear your pitch, and that's what they did as well. So the whole tradition came up of caroling, often with dancing, and also groups of people known as wassailers. You've heard the word wassail. And they would go from house to house and dressed up often as, uh, as uh, characters in the Christmas story itself. As far as I can turn, as I can tell, it was sort of a, a weird medieval yuletide version of Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
But they would go from house to house and, and they would, here we come, a wassailing. All those carols are from that tradition. And people would give them food and drink and sometimes money to give to the poor. All that became the, uh, the whole history of Christmas and Christmas music. And with that came the instruments that went with them. And so as a result, over time, you begin to see Christmas carol texts that talk about instruments. Not just the story of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and, and all of that, but the instruments that play it. So tonight's carol texts, each of them talk about instruments or music in general, but often instruments. I sort of picked them for that. Now, if you remember uh, from, uh, from music history or music appreciation or even playing music yourself, you know the instruments are divided usually into sort of four categories. So here's our orchestra, and we have here the woodwinds on top here. Hi, woodwinds. Thank you so much. And then up top there, we have the brass. Hi, a brass. There they all are. <laughs> And then over there, those two handsome gentlemen are playing percussion. There they are. And then the final uh, a sort of choir of the orchestra, as they're called, are the strings. And they stretch all the way across here. Basses don't bother lifting. Thank you. <laughs> what I've determined is that in every carol text we have tonight, there's at least one instrument from one of these families that's represented. And so you can even pick them out. And there may be a per, uh, an appearance by the one instrument that was in churches, which is the organ. Right, because they were kind of hard to go from house to house with. <laughs> but there's even a carol about the organ in here. All of that was to create that Christmas tradition. And although it grew up and grew up, it's interesting that although we now associate instruments in church all the time, instruments actually weren't often allowed into the church. That's still true today, by the way, in some denominations. That's part of two reasons, partly because St. Paul said we should address each other with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He didn't mention clarinets. <laughs> so the church fathers said, off with the instruments, then we can't have them. The other reason is that the church authorities, had, they, they had a decidedly dim view of instrumental musicians. They thought that they led lives of loose morals. But anyway, their loss, our gain, because Christmas has been the brighter and the better for it. So tonight, after all of that, I want to take you from all of that history into the modern era now, where you can hear all of these colors and all these instruments come together. Uh, so we're going to start here, not with medieval Europe, but instead with Appalachia, with a carol, uh, an old carol called I Wonder as I Wander from uh, the Appalachian Mountains. Uh, which I, was my inspiration when I wrote this opening orchestra piece. See if you can hear the different colors combining together and see what instruments alone, no voices, can do.
wonderful, humble carol. They survive for a long time for good reason. They're well-constructed, they're easy to remember, and the words always seem to sort of bring us back to that story and the mood that the story creates. The next two carol arrangements are based on carols that are very old indeed, uh, probably the oldest in the whole collection that we have tonight. The first one is the Holly and the Ivy, uh, which I arranged for choir and orchestra. This one is probably, it's difficult to tell quite where the original carol text came from. Uh, it's either England, possibly Germany, and even possibly France. It's probably 1500s or even a bit earlier. One of the reasons we know carol texts go a little earlier is because the pagan elements are still weaving their way in them. And if you read Holly and the Ivy, there's some reference to Mary and Jesus, but there's also reference to things like holly and ivy and the running deer and various other elements that aren't really part of the Christmas story in any Bible I've ever read, but they're definitely part of the whole Christmas experience that those people would have known at the time. There's also a mention of one instrument, which may make an appearance, the organ. The second piece that we'll do is uh, arranged by John Rutter of, uh, called King Jesus Hath a Garden also a very old carol text, and again, um, largely based on images of flowers and gardens and other things that don't really have anything to do with the Christmas story, but would have made sense to the imagination of the people who had sung this carol, also probably 16th century, difficult to tell.
The next two carols are both French, we think. The first one, Ding Dong Merrily on High, very, very familiar carol to a lot of people. You'll notice, like a lot of what we've done tonight, has a refrain, a very well-known refrain, and again, that's really baked into how carols functioned. It's hard to point to a Christmas song that doesn't have a refrain of some kind because listeners could join right in and instruments could help support them in that way. This first uh, arrangement is done by Mac Wilberg and uh, you'll hear the full orchestra come up and you'll even hear bells, orchestral bells, to be the bells that we're hearing in the text. The second carol, uh, Il est né le divin enfant, which we'll do in French, uh, I arranged for just choir and it actually mentions oboes, but we won't have an oboe playing, but we'll look at the oboes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll make an arrangement with oboe. Anyway, this is one we've done here for Christmas Eve for a while now, and I tried to capture just the complete mystery of the evening in this, in this carol as well. So, uh, Ding Dong Merrily on High and Il est né le divin enfant.
Now we get to the fifes. You know, fifes and drums and things like that. These next two carols have specific references to fifes, so you're going to hear a lot from our piccolo and flute and oboe friends over here, and drums over there. You'll hear a lot from them, a lot. The first one here is an arrangement of an old, uh, I believe it's French, carol called Patapan. And uh, Patapan, it's hard to imagine that it started life as a Christmas carol, but that's okay. Christmas is generous-hearted and borrows stuff left and right. So Patapan really doesn't mention a lot about the traditional story of Christmas, but it does mention somebody named Willie taking his fife and drum so he can play the Christmas celebration. And you'll notice a lot of references to, to that in the instrumentation itself. Uh, it's a wild ride, this thing. It's arranged by uh, Barlow Bradford, and you'll hear him take the carol pretty much to its full extreme. And one of the interesting things is that, whereas most carols, the, the players, the instruments, are there to support the carol and the singers, in this case, the choir is itself treated as another instrument. So it's equal to the orchestra, and we'll see who wins. <laughs> and the second one is an arrangement of, not an arrangement, it's an original carol by John Rutter called Shepherd's Pipe Carol. And again, we'll hear the piping sounds. And this is uh, John Rutter's original carol plus original words. And it brings us right back to the actual Christmas Eve itself. So two carols all about pipes.
Our last two carols of the program, we've got more work for you to do after that. Don't go anywhere. The last two carols of the program start with a Welsh carol called Swegan. My Welsh is not so good, so we're doing it in English for you. Uh, but this is a lullaby. It's a traditional lullaby in Welsh, and that's not an unusual thing to happen for Christmas music. A whole lot of what were once lullabies that had nothing to do with Christmas ended up being sort of sucked into the general Christmas repertory with a great result, and vice versa. A lot of the kind of lullaby sort of carols ended up their melodies also going into more popular carols. We know about that kind of cross-fertilization throughout uh, the history of carols. This is one of those, and so it works either well and very, very well as well. Uh, this is arranged by Mac Wilberg again. It's extremely quiet, and I hope that the carol works very well. It almost lulls you uh, not to sleep, yeah. but it lulls you almost as a lullaby in a way that I, I find very few carol arrangements do. The second one is a world apart from it. Uh, it's a piece I wrote. It's an original tune, uh, but the text is not original at all. The text goes back to the 14th century and has fantastic images. In this case, it doesn't uh, talk about instruments. It talks about singing and playing, but there are also wonderful medieval images of light streaming through the glass. And I, I'm a geek. I always love to explain this one because in the 14th century, or 13th, they had just discovered the science of optics. And they had discovered that you could take a prism and hold it up to sunlight, plain old ordinary sunlight, and it would explode into colors. And they thought that that was a perfect example of how God's love would work and that if we could see properly the way God does, we'd see all of those colors. So this is sort of a carol that wraps up a lot of these themes together in one place and also talks about singing and playing at the same time. That's Alleluia, a new work is come in hand. We'll give you those two, and then we'll talk about the two carols you have to sing.
That was a clever ruse to get you to your feet. <laughs> but stay there, because I've got a couple of things to tell you. First of all, we have more work to do in the form of two carols that are printed there in your program. And also, I want to remind you that uh, we have an orchestra every single Sunday of the year here at this church. <laughs> I wish we did. But we do have fantastic music at Christmas Eve here. There are three services, 5, 9, and 11. Our wonderful choir and soloists are here. It's really a huge part of our tradition. You are so welcome, and we'd love to see you there. In fact, I expect I will see a lot of you there, which is wonderful also. In addition, there's going to be our marvelous reception after this. You go straight out that door there, and they're all waiting for you in there. As far as I'm concerned, it's the second part of the recital, and maybe even the best. So now let's sing these two final carols. We'll start off with the first Noel. <laughs> 